asked, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast, hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you. It's not me. It's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture. And we will. Let's begin with now. I wanna see how the world turns round. Let's go adventure in the deep blue sea. Home is with you wherever that may be. Home is with you wherever that may be. Hi and welcome to episode 276 of the Love Food Podcast. I'm Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here and excited to connect today. If you are someone who's experiencing a complicated relationship with food that has resulted in an eating disorder, maybe someone's diagnosed you with one, or maybe you just have read all of the kind of criteria and you're like, yep, that totally is me. Well, I have designed this episode to explore what I think it takes to end like eating disorders from even existing. Wouldn't that be so wonderful? It actually would be really wonderful. You know, over the last 20 years, I have sat across many people who are in the throes of an eating disorder. And if you don't relate to eating disorder kind of like behaviors, well, just know it is fucking exhausting what people experience trying to recover their relationship with food. And so I'm excited to share my thoughts for you today on how we can rid the world of eating disorders. I think there are actually ways to do this, um, but it may take kind of turning our head in a different direction for a while. And I'm wondering if you're willing to do that. Besides this exploration of how to end eating disorders, I'm also going to introduce you to a brand new segment on the Find Your Food Voice podcast. If you are an old listener, you know, Love Food had kind of the same type of segments. I read a letter and then explored the letter and then food wrote back. Well, I am adding some new voices and new discussions and I am adding a a segment, excuse me, called Diet Culture IRL. So I am doing this segment with Colleen Brebner, who you got to hear from in episode 275. If you haven't listened to it yet, listen to it when you can. Colleen is someone who's been working with me for about six months now, and she is like a fabulous hype woman. She is someone that is so encouraging and will lift you up just by being around her. And she also has a experienced a complicated relationship with food and her body that she does um, share with us. And so appreciate that, Colleen. Thank you. Um, but she uh, shares that with us in episode 275. So we'll put a link to it in the show notes below. 
but check it out so you can find out a little bit more about her. But she is coming on to share some snippets of diet culture IRL. And today's episode, she is sharing her experiences having a partner that is smaller than her. I know that is not what we are told should be happening. And she's going to be sharing some thoughts on that. And we're going to discuss it for a little bit too. So before we get to diet culture IRL with Colleen Brebner, and before we get to how the hell do we end eating disorders, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you ready to divorce that dumpster fire that is the PCOS diets? I hope you are ready because I am ready to show you how to make it happen. PCOS Power, my complete updated PCOS course is going to be released March 1st. And I'm so, so excited to finally bring it to the surface so you can see it and learn from it and glean all the tools that you need as you are living and like regaining the power you need to live life on your own terms. So PCOS Power, like I said, is an anti-diet course designed to help people to reject diet culture, have tools that also fit in with eating disorder recovery, and like learn ways to promote health living with this chronic condition. So this is not like a get better quick kind of thing because that's just not how PCOS is. There is no cure, but there are tools that you can learn to help you to navigate the system and navigate the different kind of experiences that the hormonal imbalance provokes. So I want to share with you um, some feedback I got on the beta round of PCOS Power. I let some people try it out before I released it because I wanted to make sure that it was good enough. And Paige Stratton, she, her said this, the PCOS Power course is the most in-depth and informative content I have found on PCOS. I love that it is in the perspective of health at every size and focuses on adding food, not restricting yourself. An amazing tool to start on or further educate yourself on diet culture, vital nutrients for your body, symptoms of hormone imbalances, treatments, and most importantly, self-acceptance. Thank you so much, Paige. I'm so glad you could join me in that beta round and thank you for that feedback. If you are listening to this podcast episode and it's before February 25th, join me over on Instagram for a PCOS Power Ask Me Anything. I will be doing it on February 25th at one o'clock US Eastern time. It'll be an Instagram live. So you just jump on and watch the live and you can actually ask me anything you want about PCOS Power. So I look forward to seeing you then. And if you would like details about the course, go to juliedillonrd.com. Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. 
These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's daily women's microbiome defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Com. All right, let's get to the rest of the episode. I want to start this rant by telling you a story. When I was interviewing my first job as a dietitian, it was at a big teaching hospital. It literally took about 15 minutes to walk from the parking deck to second sub-basement where dietitians um, had their offices. And it was so confusing. I got lost, of course, on the way. But that's how big, huge teaching hospitals are. They are windy paths. I was very nervous and I was also getting over a cold. So I was coughing and coughing and coughing. But besides all of that complication, one of the things I very vividly remember is the panel of people interviewing me asking, what area of nutrition would I like to work in? And I mean, I really wanted this job. (laughs) And so I was willing to do anything. And so I said, I will work in any area except eating disorders. Isn't that so funny? Because that is the area that I think that I'm always supposed to be working in. But anyway, I did end up getting a job there. And then in 1999, I ended up seeing my very first client that I knew of (laughs) That's a very important part to add there. In 1999, I saw my very first client that was diagnosed with an eating disorder. What was I expecting before I saw this client? Imagine for a second what you would expect, like what type of person would be coming in to the office to see me as they were affected by an eating disorder. Well, since 1999, Modern science has been been able to connect the dots, um, so many dots, to allow us to better understand eating disorders. And one in particular has been fascinating and so important that there's a genetic link to eating disorders. 
just like someone who has a genetic predisposition for alcoholism or drug abuse, and avoiding drugs and alcohol helps prevent them from experiencing that kind of addiction, well, there's certain genetic traits that people who have an eating disorder history in their family need to avoid certain behaviors to avoid setting up themselves for an eating disorder. Does this guarantee they will never get one? Absolutely not. Like there's too much variation in this, but it is a level level of, uh, not level, it's a layer rather of protection and brings, out, brings down the likelihood of actually experiencing eating disorder. So keep in mind, there's a genetic connection. So you, by avoiding certain behaviors, it may help people avoid ever experiencing eating disorder, just like someone who has a lot of um, alcoholism in their family tree, avoiding alcohol to avoid ever even being activated to um, go down that path of addiction. So which behaviors should be avoided to help prevent an eating disorder if you have the genetic predisposition? Well, we know that dieting, pursuing weight loss, and or manipulating your food to promote weight outcomes, those are the things that are connected to be the activators, the trigger for the genetic sequencing to wake up and go ahead and proceed down that really challenging, hard to recover path of eating disorder recovery. So what we know is that diets have been found to predict eating disorder behaviors in research. It's been shown actually a number of times now. So while not everyone who diets gets an eating disorder, everyone who I've ever talked to with an eating disorder has dieted. And also we know that diets set up a person for metabolic long-term consequences like high cholesterol, high insulin, high blood sugar, and high triglycerides. Yes, the very conditions that diets are used to say like, hey, this will help prevent all these things actually may be the cause for long-term. Um, if we look in the short-term, maybe it does lower those things, but long-term, it actually may be the cause behind high cholesterol, high insulin, high blood sugar, high triglycerides. And if you're listening and you have PCOS or diabetes or any of those conditions, I hope this makes you pause, you know, like, wait, what's going on here? And these consequences, you know, these um, high cholesterol and all those other lab works that, that I was talking about, these are connected to weight cycling. Weight cycling is that yo-yo effect from going on and off a diet. And like, so going on a diet, losing weight, then regaining the weight back, gaining weight, getting more weight back because most people do, and then dieting again, going through that cycle over and over again has been connected to these experiences, you know, the higher cholesterol, higher insulin, higher blood sugar. So weight cycling is a part of that whole cycle. And I know I use cycle twice. <laughs> so um, another point too, is that most people experience some sort of disordered eating just because of diet culture. So these are why like eating disorders even happen. Remember it's genetics um, and then these behaviors that um, can provoke some long-term consequences. They're also like normalized in our culture. Like dieting is normal eating now. And the longer that I've been a dietitian, the more that has become true. And it hasn't always been that way. And I don't know if there's anyone alive who can relate to that. It's really normal to diet. We're taught at an early age that fat is bad and we should all avoid it 
at all costs. And we should all manipulate our intake to avoid fatness at all costs. So I want to imagine a world free of eating disorders and disordered eating. So something that I will self-disclose is I've never experienced an eating disorder. Yet after 20 years of sitting across people from people who um, are just letting me know their experiences, their stories, their struggles, their level of exhaustion, trying to recover from an eating disorder or disordered eating, it is something that I would love for it to no longer exist. I can't understand the experience, but after so many years, I think I'm appreciating just how terrible living with an eating disorder can be. And it is for way more people than you probably think. So let's imagine a world free from eating disorders and free from like food worries and weight worries. What would we do if we didn't have to worry about our weight or what we were going to eat and not eat each day? One thing I know to be true is that we would get so much shit done. Like we would take care of so much shit that is problematic right now in our world. So while we're imagining, because I'm I'm picturing you and me kind of like doing some guided imagery right now, imagining a world free of food and weight worries, it's important to check back in because I think it's important to just ask what would be different in this eating disorder-free world? What if we actually can make it happen? Like what actually could be happening? I know what would be different. And I know what would not be different. (laughs) So what I know to be true is this world where there is no more eating disorders, what also would be happening concurrently and would be required in order to rid the world of eating disorders is we would no longer be fighting the O word. I can't even say the O word. So if you're not sure what the O word is, maybe we can put a little asterisk at the very bottom of the show notes, just in case you're not sure what this O word is, but I can't even say it because it is so stigmatizing to many people. But we have a war on it. It's considered an epidemic. And a world without eating disorders, this would no longer be the case. We would no longer be fighting the O word. We would not consider certain bodies an epidemic. Did you see my quotes? An epidemics <laughs> with billions, billions and billions emptied into eradicating the world of these bodies. I remember Marilyn Wan was the first person that mentioned the word eugenics when it came to the war on a word um, and how the so much public policy and healthcare was really focusing on getting the rid getting rid of people who looked like her and i've also heard um audrey gordon from the podcast maintenance phase talk about this too and you know the the thing about it is that this is so much deeper and more evil than i think we've been led to believe but if we imagine a world without eating disorders i think it's important to know that like It's not going to be a world where there's no longer higher weight people. This is where we need to check into that guided imagery that we may be doing at this moment. 
let's be sure we're on the same page because we need to make sure that we note that this dream that has no more eating disorders in it, it's not a world full of skinny people. It's not a world full of people with BMIs less than 25 or 30 or 40 because this world full of people with a BMI less than 25, 30, or 40, whatever number you want to pick, is going to still have eating disorders. (laughs) It's going to be even more disordered than it is currently. So the only way we can move forward, like I said, is we no longer will be fighting that O word. And no longer fighting the O word to end eating disorders does not mean no more fat people. And no longer fighting the O word means we catch up with actual science and dare I say, decency. (laughs) And no longer fighting the O word means that we are like stopping the fight on bodies. We are honoring size diversity. We are appreciating that health can come in every size And that health is not a moral failure or moral like pedestal that someone could be on. And every size should exist. This world, that is like an assumption that we're born with and it is cherished and encouraged and taught every moment in every way, in schools, in our media, in our healthcare, in our day-to-day, in our accessibility. Every size should have access to education, to care, to employment. Every soul is celebrated in this like la-la land that we're in right now. Every soul is celebrated for the soul it carries. I firmly believe we will only find solutions to end eating disorders and disorder eating if we end anti-fat bias. And that means in like policy, systems, and it also means for each of us, like we all have work to do. And why do I say this so firmly? Well, I have some reasons. Let's see, one, two, three, four. I have four reasons why, and there's probably more than that, but there's four reasons why we can only get rid of eating disorders if we end anti-fat bias. So first is making size a moot point will eliminate the need for diets. So remember, dieting like predicts eating disorders. Eliminating the need and the industry for diets will prevent those with that genetic predisposition for an eating disorder from this like easy like entry point to go into an eating disorder. And another reason besides like, hey, if we don't have size as like this size gives you access and this one keeps you from access. Besides that, um, one thing I've come to appreciate is is that recovering from an eating disorder means abstaining from diets. Yeah, like I have yet to meet one person who has recovered from an eating disorder and then gone on a diet and not had a slippery slope. And you may at me right now and say, that's me. But I'm like, let's hold on to that for a little bit and check back in in a couple years because oftentimes this arc of relapse can be really long. So how can someone abstain from dieting while they're trying to recover from their eating disorder when the culture dictates that dieting is normal 
it's healthy. Um, how can someone not focus on weight loss when they're told that pursuing weight loss at a certain weight is important to be healthy? So when diets are no longer in style, healthy eating will include eating for self-care, variety, access, and satiety. Like it'll just be back to where, I mean, where I think we were like designed to be. Something else I've gleaned from working with people along their recovery process is that the fear of gaining weight or the fear of never losing weight is a significant part of the eating disorder experience. It's a huge boulder block that keeps people from really being able to move along their path of recovery. And unfortunately, our world normalizes and justifies this fear because of health misinformation, confirmation bias, and of course, anti-fat bias. So eliminating this fear, this cultural fear of fat will help those recovering to do the same. And I don't, I can't imagine anyone being able to recover from this part of their eating disorder until this is like totally eradicated. So the last point I have is many people have a body whose preferred weight is higher than the cultural norm. So if you try recovering from eating disorder, yet your eating disorder team says your weight is too high, like, can you imagine that? Like if your body is just needs to be, prefers to be at a higher weight than what is culturally deemed appropriate, then your eating disorder recovery team tells you your weight's too high. Like there's, it just can't happen. Yet that is happening every single day in treatment facilities and outpatient teams. And I'm totally against it, but it happens every single day. Anti-fat bias within even the eating disorder field is abundant. And this prevents people who are needing to be at a higher weight to like actually access recovery. So I'm going to stop here. I know I have missed something. I know I have. So let us know by sending us an email at info at juliedillonrd.com. Ever wonder where we got the idea we had to be smaller than our partner? I certainly have. It's been ingrained in us at every turn. And guess where it's rooted? You guessed it. The patriarchy. When you imagine what a typically beautiful couple looks like, what do you see? Is one partner taller than the other? Are they both in smaller bodies? What race are they? If you are listening and you are not in a relationship, think about your friends or relationships with others in place of the word partner. As a short, fat woman in a relationship with a tall, brawny man, I have had to train myself to address my own discomfort with being larger than my partner. The trouble really came when I started looking at pictures of us together. I would nitpick every single thing I didn't like about the picture, completely forgetting the joy of the moment we shared together when we snapped the shot. I was doing myself such a disservice by looking at every photo, focusing on my size and flaws instead of fully embracing and receiving the love he was sharing with me. Both of our bodies have changed since we first met back in 2017, which is completely normal. We've been together for five years. So in today's segment of Diet Culture IRL, I want to talk about a few things that help me grapple with weighing more than my partner. I think the best place to start is defining your own self-worth without anyone else in the mix. 
as a two on the Enneagram, this is difficult. This is a difficult one for me because my core fear is being unloved or unworthy of love. So I've had to do loads of self-work to get to a place where I know I am worthy without the approval or validation of others. I used to tell myself a lie. I don't deserve love because of the size of my body. I have worked so hard to remind myself that I am worthy of receiving love over and over again. This is not an overnight journey. And let me tell you, it's messy and so very challenging. For me, this journey started with the scale. The number on the scale is exactly that. A number on a piece of digital equipment, which is showing my numerical relationship to gravity. It's not an indication of your worth, nor is it a reflection of how much love you deserve. Now, if you're someone who's saying to themselves as they listen, yeah, but my partner says if my body changes, they will no longer be attracted to me. Your feelings are valid too. And let's unpack that a little. I want to tell you your partner's attraction to you is 100% not your responsibility. There are so many other things about you that are special, including your body. Your partner was raised in the same fat phobic world we were raised in. While it may make sense that this is their belief, it doesn't make their thoughts right and it doesn't deem your body wrong. Your body does not need to change. Your partner's beliefs do. There is no right, quote unquote, size ratio in a relationship. Oftentimes, marginalized groups are told not to take up too much space, especially physically. Think about times you have seen fat folks depicted in the media. I will say usually in heteronormative relationships. How is the fat person cast in shows and movies? I'll give you a few examples. Think of Bridget Jones after she gets dumped. The movie Shallow Hal. And my personal first introduction to a fat suit, Monica on Friends. Usually fat people are depicted as the funny fat friend, butt of a joke, evil, lazy, or unintelligent. These degrading stereotypes have no basis in reality, and yet sadly they influence the way we think about fat people and fat people in relationships. Comparing ourselves to others has never been a helpful practice, whether it's in mind or body. We are naturally different from every person, and that's something to celebrate. Remember the love you share between you and your partner is something so special, and your respective body sizes really should not matter. For the next part, I'm going to put a small disclaimer for explicit content because we're going to talk a bit about sex. It's complete bullshit that larger and smaller bodied people are incapable of having passionate, fantastic, excellent, consensual sex with one another. With it being the day after Valentine's Day, I just want to remind you that body diversity has no impact on how great one's intimate life can be, except when I myself let my insecurities about my body invade the space between us in our relationship. No shocker here, but the journey starts within ourselves. I know we've unpacked a lot today in this segment of Diet IRL, so I want to invite Julie to hop in IRL. Hey again, Colleen. Thank you for joining us. And I just got to say, the fat suit on Monica and Friends. Holy shit. What? Like, okay, because like Friends for me was, it came out when I started college. So, you know, that was a really, really wonderful time of my life. I often dream of going back to college and it's, I just loved that time. And so I have this nostalgia with friends. Like I think a lot of people do, but now 20 years later watching it, I'm like, what the hell? This is like, there's so many issues. There's so many issues with friends and also another favorite of mine, Seinfeld. So many issues 
with like stigma, bias, and you know, blatant it was the issues. <laughs> but the fat suit on Monica, holy moly! Can we start there? Oh my gosh, yes. Because like the relationship well, dynamics, like as like she had that on, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's and even Monica in that it like when Monica and Rachel together were in like you were viewing them back in their history in high school I think is when Monica was wearing the fat suit Rachel had a problem with her nose and yep and Monica obviously had I'm using air quotes here everyone a problem (laughs) with her body Uh, and I think like this was my first intro to seeing i mean obviously i watch disney movies so there's some like blatant fat phobia and problematic shit in there too but i mean this was really the first time i recognized like oh monica's getting treated differently and she's not like loved or liked by anyone because she's fat and like that's so problematic so it's such an issue yeah and i'm trying to remember how chandler reacted um to seeing her in a larger body like as a like because we're actually, I'm like, were they even a relationship then? I don't even know. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, did he yeah. like say I couldn't like, I don't know, was he like disgusted or something like that? Yeah. And like, just didn't give her the time of day because she was fat. And then she had her glow up and lost all the weight. And all of a sudden, even though like her personality was still stellar, she was then oh now we can pay attention to monica because she's had her glow up yeah rachel's had a nose job so we can also now like recognize that because that's what like society puts value on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah like in in a time um i know i'm a, a little bit older than you i'm like i was in this like place of like building nostalgia but then also with these warm, fuzzy memories, laying down this foundation of this rule that um, you can't be bigger than your partner. Yeah. Um, Or risk like losing your partner um, or be alone or whatever those things are. Um, I can only imagine like that's got to really like fuck with your relationship with food, you know, and relationship with your body and or who you even like are willing to date or risk like getting to know and things like that. Even when I think back on like viewing TV shows and movies, the only time I've ever seen part, I mean, I will say like before the past couple of years, I think Shrill has done a great job of of depicting, you know, some excellent fat positivity and, and joy in relationships. But I will say before that, I, I don't remember a time when I saw a, any fat folks in a relationship where it seemed like it was a loving relationship and that the the fat person wasn't the object of ridicule or um, pain and suffering in some way. Yeah. And that's why it's a big deal because yeah, besides shrill or like pre-shrill, yeah. um, were there any, you know, <laughs> and that's why it's important. Like if there's none, like if it's all ridicule, all the joke, or bad or whatever, you know, that's going to be really significant. And I say that because there's, there may be a naysayer listening who's like, oh, it's just media. You're over analyzing it. <laughs> and I get that a lot whenever I bring up these things. Um, so, 
<laughs> like I'm just but we can't deny the role that media has to play on our psyche and our society. So while yeah, totally, it's just media. It's a story. I get that. I get that argument and also to like the other side of that coin is yes and and people see that other people maybe who are in smaller bodies and they internalize fat phobia from that and people internalize fat phobia from Mm -hmm. that it's not just Mm -hmm. one or the other so yeah oh yeah that's a lot that's a lot yeah yeah and I know that like you were married not too long ago so yes. I have a feeling that like a lot of this kind of was brought up just in that experience too. 100%. Yeah. I I think the wedding industry in particular. Ooh. Oh, that's a whole, that's probably a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> um, but I think that every, even in like media and things that I saw like for wedding planning, not once did I see a, a couple where one of the partners or both partners were considered in larger bodies or fat. Um, And so again, like it's the messaging of, oh, don't forget to lose weight before your wedding. And don't forget, like in order for you to feel your best on your wedding day, you have to look your best on your wedding day. Instead of thinking about like, wow, I'm marrying the man of my dreams today. And I... I can't wait to see the pictures of joy on my face from this day. Like it's, it becomes this whole other narrative of, of waking up on the morning of and being like, Oh gosh, I hope I look okay today, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so sad. Well, and also like, he's fucking lucky that he got to marry you. Um, snaps, <laughs> like, yeah, he is like, <laughs> what? Hopefully he heard, <laughs> heard me say that. But, um, you know, the thing about what you just mentioned in your diet culture, IRL, is that that was so powerful to me that I highlighted um, was that, like, it's not your responsibility, like, your partner's attraction to you. Like, that, that, that is not your responsibility. It reminds me a lot about, like, other people's feelings, you know. Yes. Uh, I can remember a therapist telling me one time, like, many times. You know, I have no control of other people's feelings. And like, so stop being in their head. You can't, you don't belong there. Yeah. But this, this is, sounds really similar that it's, it's just not your responsibility how attracted they are. Cause like, there's a lot of um, anti-fat bias that they're going to have to unpack. But I, as I say that, I'm like, oh, that's super easy as a straight sized person to even say that. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of like unknowns. If someone does have a, a experience their body changing and they are bigger now than their partner. Um, so I just want to name that like, you know, that's not something I can understand, but also like it may be a big deal. And it can be really scary, especially if you're on a journey yourself where you are figuring out if uh, you don't want to diet any longer and you are figuring out that that's maybe not the life that you want to pursue. It can be really scary to even admit that this this could happen, that your partner might not end up being attracted to you. But I just want to reiterate that if that's the case, like this person probably wasn't right for you. There's probably someone else out there who will love and appreciate you just as you are. I'm not going to say probably, I'm going to say there definitely is somebody out there who will love and appreciate you for who you are, whether that's in a romantic relationship, whether that's in a friendship, whether that's in a you know platonic relationship, 
but you deserve to be accepted for who you are at the space and time that you are at. And yeah, it's that attractive, I don't know, your the piece that I said about your partner um, being attracted to you, like, yeah, it's totally not your responsibility. And I think the thing that you're really highlighting is another reason why like living in this world and in a higher weight body, why this is harder, you know, like it's just like living in the margins in that area. It's like, it's, there's going to be more like systemic, like stress on your body and like things like inflammation and heart disease. Like that's part of why the, the um, discrimination, the stigma is so hard is because this is a really heavy thing to hold on to. And I'm so glad you brought it up. There's a lot of people listening, um, especially people with PCOS that I've talked to over the years, as they are working towards like rejecting diets and healing their relationship with food and like doing all that mending and tending to it. This is something that comes up like this fear. And then if it does happen, like what sometimes happens is, you know, relationships end. And so um, I'm so glad you brought it up. I think it's super important. So thanks for sharing it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I look forward to seeing you next time and with our diet culture IRL. Diet culture (laughs) IRL. Take care. Bye. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Colleen Bremner in our diet culture IRL segment, as well as my rant on how to end eating disorders. If you enjoyed this episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast, you know I always appreciate a rating, a review, subscribing to the show, or sharing it with someone who you think could benefit or would be interested in hearing it. You could forward it to a friend, a coworker, I don't know, a mother-in-law maybe. (laughs) And also you could forward it maybe to your therapist or dietitian to see what they think. Doing any of those acts of kindness really does help the show grow. So thank you in advance. And this episode was brought to you by my PCOS Power course. It's my new course to help those with PCOS to divorce that dumpster fire that is the PCOS diet. Get all the details at juliedillonrd.com. And if you're listening to this before February 25th, join me for a PCOS Power AMA. It's at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, and it's over on Instagram. I am at Food Voice RD. So again, it's February 25th, blah, 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 February 25th on Instagram at one o'clock US Eastern time. And you can ask me anything you want about the upcoming PCOS Power course. All right. So I look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice Pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed, and Colleen Bremner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. 
Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at juliedeffydillon.com, where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.